message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. My head's a bit sort of messed up as a result, but um, I, I suddenly in, in, in June, no, about July time, I, I suddenly had to fill up my diary because we're, we're in this country. And, and, and so the link in terms of coming here, I've spoken at a number of uh, NFI churches over the years, but the link was basically Twitter and becoming uh, connected with uh, you guys on Twitter. And so just pinged a, pinged a, pinged a, a, a tweet and uh, that's why I'm here. So it's, it's interesting. Sometimes you're very connected and sometimes you're not. I'm, I'm, I'm a blast from the outside, really. And I, I think it's, it's actually quite nice sometimes getting an outsider coming in because I mean, I can say things, things now and then leg it and, you, you know, you, <laughs> let, leave you with a mess to deal with. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully this morning you'll be challenged and stirred and encouraged in your pursuit of Jesus. That's the aim, isn't it? Amen. If you've got your Bibles, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. And uh, before we look at the scriptures, I'll just give you a few pictures. Pictures hopefully will come up on the screen and that will give you a context from where I'm coming from. So if you didn't know where Burundi was, that's where it is. I've been out there 16 years. I went out there... When I was 25, I expected to die. Uh, people I care about have been killed. I was a single nutter, basically, completely ready to die. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what Paul says. You know, he says it's a win-win. If you're flat out for Jesus, then, you know, for me to live, brilliant, is Christ. To die, it's even better. He says, I, I actually desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but convinced there's more work for me to do. I'll be around a bit longer. Had a crazy uh, first few years there, bombing around like a, yeah, turbocharged after preaching the whole time and, and seeing incredible fruit, and then eventually set up this charity called Great Lakes Outreach, and we support nine local groups there. My idea being just get behind the best local leaders of passion, integrity, gifting, vision, and they can see the transformation of the nation. We've seen probably in the last 16 years a couple of hundred thousand people come to Jesus. Mind-blowing in terms of numbers. Very fruitful and open mission field. You know, very, it's, it's different. So, uh, you know, it's different from here. We're not going to see 200,000 people uh, in the next 10 years. Or, or maybe we will, but, you know, if people, people out there are just so receptive. So in, in saying those numbers, I'm not saying we're doing more stuff than you guys or anything like that. It's a very fertile mission field, and it's beautiful. Although the last few months have been incredibly, incredibly depressing. I've been back just 10 days right now. Next one. Um, so I live in Bujumbra, or have lived there with my family. Next one. And these are all pictures. Keep just roll through these next few. These are all pictures from the last few months as our Christian president has decided to stay on for a third term and has basically caused the country to implode. And, uh, you know, they set out a roadblock outside our house, and my kids got decent amount of gunfire and shooting and stuff and uh, if you wanted, I've got some freebies and, and some books to buy uh, outside offers, uh, loads of stuff I'm just into giving away because I can see the impact from it so if you want to grab it, uh, that's Dangerously Live that's the story of the last 15 odd years, next one uh, and that's, that's, that'll be for sale actually because I can't bankrupt our charity but, but um, that has only been out a year it's been voted devotional of the year so all that to say it can't be rubbish but if you want a daily shot in the arm for, um, you know, to make good choices, choose life. That's what we're looking at today. There's these, these verses from Deuteronomy, you know, a daily shot in the arm for radical discipleship. That's my sort of, uh, that's how I'm wired. You know, how far is too far when Jesus went that far for us? And did he go that far for us to be nice people in Derby? He didn't, did he? He went that far for us, for all of us in our respective context to live passionate lives of surrender and embrace a costly cross whatever that looks like. So if, you, if you're after that, see me after. Um, so there, I went out there, as I said, you know, single. Marriage wasn't really on the agenda, um, and, but then I didn't die. And, and then actually I did meet a, a very normal, moderating woman uh, to buy into the adventure with me. And, and then I had three kids. And I tell you, that's really difficult now in terms of, you know, we plan to go back in January. Everyone's saying, don't go back. 
And, you know, as a single bloke, that's really easy to go back. But now with children, it's really tough. I mean, it's not tough with a wife because, you know, when I proposed to her, I said, are you ready to be a young widow? You know, she, she bought into it. But then you've got kids and it's a whole lot harder. And, and you know, so as, I, as, I, as, I, as we look at making choices this morning, um, you know, I'm preaching to myself. And uh, I'm in a really difficult, difficult place right now. I'm just going to tell you why I call my daughter what I called her. She's named after the next girl. And that girl, so that's a picture taken in 1997 uh, when I when first went out there. And that girl is now next one. And that girl is next one. So she's our babysitter, although she's not our babysitter because she's now off on scholarship in America, but, but um, studying journalism. And, and she's going to write and tell her own story. But I've often told her story because, because when I met that little girl and had her in my arms, I was like, Lord, if you ever give me a daughter, I'm going to name her after this girl. Because that girl, she started her life uh, as a rejected fetus down a toilet. So her mum threw her away down the university toilet, and someone was about to go to the loo, and they, found, they saw this thing still move. And the reason she didn't die or drown in the down there was that her, her neck was caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And they fished her out, picked her up, cleaned her off, fed her through a straw like a little bird. She weighed just a few pounds. And, and now look at her, stunning young lady. But my friend who took her in, adopted her, gave her the name which is the embodiment of the gospel and, and the start of her life because her name is Grace. Isn't that a great name? My daughter's Grace. And then and in the Lord's weaving and wefting of the tapestry of our lives, 18, 19 years later, she's, she was our babysitter. And uh, it's just beautiful. And anyway, you know, whether, whether multi-murder rapists, purging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people here in Derby, we all need his grace, don't we? And that's what the gospel is. It's what God reaches down to the pit of our lives. And, you know, we couldn't get out by ourselves, but God, with flesh on, the incarnation, Christ, comes down and picks each one. He does it this morning. He wants to do it to you this morning. He wants to clean you off afresh. It's that picture of the diamond, you know. We have infinite value before God. How far did he go for us? How much love has he got for us? And so I do want to nuke you this morning in terms of challenge from the scriptures. But it's coming from that place of grace, okay? Is that a deal? So not to guilt trip or something like that, but we, you know, it's all, it's all about grace and our response uh, to God. Next one. Now this is my, one of my precious brothers, probably the most amazing man I've ever met. And uh, each year for the last nine years, we have sent out evangelists. I, I just share this to encourage you and to challenge you, really. Um, last summer, because this summer the war sort of kicked in, last summer it was a bit tricky, uh, last summer, we sent out 1,010 evangelists times 14 days, two weeks, times eight hours a day. That is a lot of outreach, isn't it? And they led 11,000 people to Jesus in those two weeks with casting out demons, with healing the sick, with you know the stuff you read about the Acts of the Apostles. You know, Jesus is the same Lord yesterday, today, and forever, isn't he? Still around. He's still doing that stuff. And, uh, you know, umpteen stories. I haven't got time for them, but I'll just give you one. You know, one lady said, F off, you know, we're not interested in your Jesus. And some mates will say that to us, won't they? And if they do, we respect them. So our guy said, all right, easy tiger. And they sort of were leaving. And then she actually said, no, no, come back. We'll listen to you if you heal this demon-possessed girl. So essentially what she was saying was, don't just talk a good game. Show us the power. So they gather around this girl that the whole community knew was demon-possessed. And they prayed over in the name of Jesus. <laughs> all those different voices, demons, identified, cast out in Jesus' name. And on the spot, the antagonistic lady and 20 people dropped their knees, gave their life to Christ. You would, wouldn't you? And you see that higher power. And uh, that's the sort of stuff that's going on. And 
amazingly, there's flipping all sorts of stuff going on the last few months. We, they still do it. still sent out 700 people this year. But because of the challenges, we only saw 500 people come to Jesus. But these, these guys are willing to go out there and really suffer for the cause. Some get beaten up, put in prison. That happened this year again. The suspected rebels. And, uh, but, you know, that is intentional, costly discipleship, willing to face opposition. You know, there's lots of challenges for us here. And, it, and, you know, if we, again, it's not as a fruitful field right now in Derby, but there are people out there that are going to be willing to listen. But if we're not going to go, we're not going to hit, we're not going to reach them. So there's the challenge there. All right, that's, that's context. Now let's look at the scriptures. So you'll hear where I'm coming from. Luke, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you want a title, let's call it Choose Life. And we'll look at verses 11 to 20. Now, uh, in terms of context, and I want all of you guys this morning to imagine yourselves as the Israelites. This is Moses, who is God's spokesperson, representative, addressing God's people. Uh, and just, 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 just remember what they've been through. I mean, we, can, we do remember. We know what, what the deal was. You know, they spent 430 years in slavery, oppression. Uh, they groan, they moan. They were like, oh, God, have you forgotten us? God, by his grace, delivers them. Extraordinary deliverance, you know, with the 10 plagues, the culmination being the 10th plague, being, you know, the, the Passover and the firstborn being killed. Unless you're protected by the blood of the lamb, echoes already of Christ in the Old Testament. And so those that had the blood of the lamb over the lintel, they were protected. And so Pharaoh says, all right, enough off, get out there, leave us alone. And so they flee into the desert and then they get protected by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud by day and night. And then they get to the Red Sea and then it parts and they get through and then it closes and all the Egyptian soldiers die. And then and then manna, provision, you know, all that sort of stuff. And yet... You know, sometimes I read the Old Testament, I'm like, you know, what's your problem, you loser Israelites? You're always, you know, complaining and moaning, and you, you see God's intervention, and, and you're so fickle. And then I think, well, that's me, because I am as well. I mean, I've seen the power of God. I've seen incredible stuff go on. I've, I've seen his provision and miraculous intervention and answers to prayers, extraordinary stuff. And then, you know, give me diarrhea for a week in Burundi, and I'm like, oh. Am I really called here? And yet, so, but it's so easy, isn't it? We, we go through difficult times, be it health, insecurity, relationship challenges, um, you know, kids off the rails, you know, whatever, and we just doubt God's faithfulness. And so, as I, uh, as I, what I want to do this morning is, uh, you know, in the last few months, I've, I've listened to loads of gunfire, and sometimes, you know, it's an hour, half an hour gunfire. That's thousands of bullets just going on, and I, it's quite surreal thinking how many people are dying right now. And maybe you're guesstimating 100 people died, or 20 people are dying right now, 500 yards away. And in the morning, I get the tweet, and one person died. And that just means that thousands of bullets missed their mark, did not achieve the purpose that they were made for, which is to bring death. Now, this morning, I want to fire a volley of 10 bullets at you guys. And what I have already prayed for, and my prayer for you this morning, is, is just, and they're life-giving bullets, by the way, but they might be painful to, to receive. But I don't want all ten to hit you because you'll be too overwhelmed. I'm hoping, my prayer for each one of us here is that one or maybe two bullets will get through everything, will completely nuke you, and that you'll go out and live differently. So that's what we're going to come out with. Ten points, uh, as, as, as quickly as possible. Uh, and so imagine yourselves right now listening to this. This is Moses addressing the people of God. We are the people of God. Uh, you know, post-Jesus and New Testament, but imagine yourself in that position. So, verse 11. Now, what I'm commanding today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. 
Nor is it beyond the seas that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to his ways and to keep his commands and decrees and laws. And then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call the heavens and the the earth as, as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many days in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Amen? Right, one thing I've got to say is right now there's, there's a few lists that are going to start moving their ways around. I came out from Burundi 10 days ago, the, the brothers are saying, please pray for us. You know, I went there, I, I, was, I've, I've, I've never, I haven't cried as much in the last few months as I have since I was a child. Um, you know, when you see your friends with, you know, cheeks that just, they're not eating, struggling to eat. When I think of my brilliant brother out there, slogging his guts out for Jesus, and his three-year-old is wetting herself every time she hears gunfire. She's wetting herself ten times a day. You know, parents, they feel that. And they said, will you pray? So no one's forced to, but there's a sheet that, that when it's way around, if you don't get it, come to me after and sign up. But I'd love you to pray, and you'll get, you know, six... Six emails a year from me just with incredible stories of what the Lord's up to. So pass it on if you don't want to, but great if you do. Okay, <laughs> ten points, quick as I can. Choices, choose life. We get this twice in, the, twice in these verses, choose life. Um, first one, are we going to choose clarity or trust? Clarity or trust? The, the Israelites... They are only on board with, with, with God and their journey when everything was going swimmingly, when it was all crystal clear, when they knew exactly where they're going. As soon as things were tr- rocky and they didn't see the way ahead, it was, it was moaning, complaining, grumbling. It was doubting God's faithfulness. Now, this is challenging. We are all wired naturally to want to have all things together and to live by sight and not by faith. Now, it's challenging, but it's not impossible. It says it in verse 11. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply that it's quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's quite a stretch. This morning, if you're really honest, many of us will will admit the fact that we have a faith, but we're not necessarily living by faith. Uh, There's a great uh, ethicist called, brilliant ethicist called John Kavanagh, and he went to Mother Teresa's House of the Dying, Calcutta. um, And he went there because he wanted to seek clarity on the next chapter of his life and as was often the case with newbies on the first day mother Teresa came alongside him and said look can I pray for you and he's like yeah bring it on you know this is what I've traveled thousands of miles to get the great mother Teresa who's going to pray uh, and give me the answer for the, for the next chapter of my life and, and so he said to, yes ma'am yeah yeah you can pray for me pray that God gives me clarity for the rest of my life and and her indignant response shocked him he, she said no i will not pray for clarity for you clarity is the last thing you're holding on to and you need to let go of he's like what i mean you look like you've got clarity in what you're doing in life she said i have never had clarity in my life what i have had was trust 
And so I will pray for you that you trust him. First one, clarity or trust. Trust and obey. So let's do that one. Next one, obedience or disobedience. Verse 16 and following. It's very clear, isn't it? For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to, to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Very clear there, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty obvious principle, the assumption uh, that God is a good God and he's our heavenly father. Uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you obey your father who knows and loves you and wants what's best for you, it's going to go well. And if you disobey him, things are going to go badly. There's a direct correlation throughout the scriptures, bringing it into the New Testament, between love and obedience. Three times in John chapter 14 alone, Jesus talks about it. If you love me, you will obey my commands, verse 15. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. 1 John 5, 3, this is love to obey his commands. Jesus is our model, Philippians 2. He learned obedience to death, even death on the cross. There's a great warning from the theologian Tozer. He said this, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go, or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. And the next time it will move you less... And the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. I mean, I, thankfully, it's quite a long time ago in terms of a, a big example in my life of, 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 of disobedience. But, you know, some of you are students here. I just last night spent, went back to Loughborough. I studied at Loughborough. Went back to see some, some mates there. And you know, lots of me- memories came flooding back. But, you know, Loughborough, you know, I was... A, head of mission, I was on the, you know, I was on Vange sec and stuff like that, and, and yet I got taken out for a year and a half because I fell in love with this girl, Christian girl, where we ended up sleeping together, and I just <clears throat> hardened my heart and got taken out. Now, is any of that stuff going on this morning? Doing stuff that, it just, you just, it just, you know, God's not a killjoy. He just wants what's best. I'm so sick to death of even Christian friends of mine now, you know, in a sense reaping what they sowed in, in terms of not following God's blueprint and bringing so much baggage into a marriage relationship. And, you know, if, we, if we're divorced here this morning, there's grace. And, you know, God's all about restoration. But, 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 but you know, he wants what's best for us. And if we're going to sow our wild oats everywhere, then we're not laying a good foundation for our future lives. And we see that, the breakdown in society. What does obedience look like for you this, this morning? It's costly, isn't it? It could be taking an initiative with, uh, with our mates, uh, with people down the street, our colleagues. It could be uh, addressing a, a, an issue of unforgiveness, of reconciliation, offering it or receiving it. It could be reprioritizing our finances, you know, investing in things that really matter. I, I, I can't fully apply that for you, but are you going to choose the path of obedience or disobedience this morning? Next one. Cynicism or action. Cynicism or action. You might have thought cynicism or optimism. But no, I've chosen cynicism or action because the antidote to to cynicism is is not optimism. It is action. See, the problem is 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 that, uh, you know, cynicism gives up and believes in the world can be changed and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? Now, the the Israelites were, you know, oozed cynicism and negativity. And we're a culture that's riddled with cynicism, aren't we? People are cynical about church. They're cynical about politics. 
They're cynical about any kind of authority structures. Cynical about marriage. You know, you could just go on. And are we going to reflect what our society is living, or are we going to be completely countercultural? Listen to this on Jim Wallace. He writes, ultimately, cynicism protects you from commitment. If things are not really going to change, why try so hard to make a difference? And if you have middle-class economic security, as many cynics do, things don't have to change for you to remain secure. That's not intended to sound harsh, just realistic. Cynics are finally free just to look after themselves. And perhaps the only people who view the world realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everybody else may be living in some kind of denial about what's really going on, how things really are. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. Hope's not a feeling, it's a decision. And the decision for hope is is based on what you believe at the deepest levels. You, I, choose hope, not as a naive wish, but as a choice with our eyes wide open to the reality of the world in Derby and beyond, just like the cynics have taken the decision not to hope. Much cynicism in the house? Cynicism in your heart? Let's deal with it this morning. Next one. Next one. Um, Pity or compassion? Many years ago I was in Brazil, actually when I was a student in Loughborough in the summer, I went off to Brazil so that's you know, 20 odd years ago. And um, we went out there to work with street kids. And it, we went to Sao Paulo, the main square there. And, and this little street kid came up to a big strapping six foot four team leader we had. And this guy was spitting and cursing. He said, you may be big, you may be strong, but there's only one of you. And then we got ambushed by these little street kids who are not cute at all. You know, they've been abused from beaten around since birth. And they're very aggressive and dangerous. And we got ambushed and thrown glass bottles on it. It was actually, I've been in much more dangerous situations in Burundi, but, but it was the scariest time in my life because often you're, you, know, you fear what you don't understand and, and you're unfamiliar with. And it was, I was absolutely petrified as we legged it and needed police protection. And anyway, that evening we met in our, the safety of our compound and to process and debrief that experience. And, and I just wept, I wept, I wept at the uh, overwhelming numbers, seven million street kids at the our encounter, how, you know, what, what could we possibly do? The sense of being overwhelmed and, and broken. Uh, and my, the team leader came alongside me and he shot me a bullet that has stayed with me ever since. And I hope it does with you. He said this, pity cries, I was crying, pity cries and then goes away, but compassion stays. Pity cries, and you know, you, it's a, maybe a visceral mo- emotional response to those famine, you know, pictures of Ethiopia or Niger or Somalia or wherever. And then it turns over and watches Match of the Day or EastEnders because I can get my head around that, and I understand that reaction. But pity cries, and then goes away. But compassion stays, and I'd love you guys to be a people who choose to stay. And it's actually an attitude. You know, it can be geographical. So for me, it's Burundi. That's like my lifeblood. But wherever the Lord's putting us, it's an attitude of choosing to stay, of people down our street, single mums that need a lot of help, people wrestling with addictions, kids that are feral that because they haven't got any love in their lives. You know, it's messy getting involved in these situations, isn't it? But are we going to play it safe and just, you know, stick to our nuclear families or, you know, or retreat to the suburbs or... 
and there's plenty of brokenness in the suburbs, of course, but, but you know, or are we going to fully engage and what does that look like? Please be a people who choose to stay. Next one. <laughs> Urgency or apathy. I mean, the Israelites, they had uh, bouts of urgency, didn't they? Like when they had several hundred of the Pharaoh's charioteers out their backside. You know, they were legging it. You know, they were, they were, they were bricking themselves. There was, there was a bit of urgency, but actually their default mold was apathy. And very quickly, they slipped back into apathy. Now, this is very much easier for me to live out than you guys, because when you're listening to shelling and shooting and grenades, then, you know, it's very clear that there's a war going on. And I've had that for years. I mean, it's been peaceful for 10 years, actually, but in the early days. And then in the last few months, it's happened again, very depressingly. But, you know, I remember in the early days, when I was 25, 26, that sort of thing, you know, I really thought I was going to die next week. And if you think you're going to die next week, well, you're not going to waste today. You're not going to sit six hours on PlayStation, you know, wasting your life. Doing that. Because there's so much more to live for. I remember an extreme example. You know, I was preaching on the Congolese border, and you know the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25. Some things Jesus say are pretty complicated, but you know, Matthew 25, it's not rocket science. There were ten girls invited who had a role to play at the wedding, and, and five just weren't ready. They had to naff off and go buy the oil. You know, they didn't have enough to trim their lamps when the late party came. And so the five that were ready, they went in, boom, door shut, late comers come, come on, let us in. And they hear this horrific pronouncement, Kudi Simbazi. I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Now, I had three points. As I said, it wasn't complicated. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? That's what that parable is about. I'm coming back, as Jesus is saying. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? And a, a number of people wanted to get ready. They came forward. We prayed for them. I guess a whole bunch of people said, yeah, you know, no, I want to sow my wild oats for a while longer. I want to keep in control of my life. I'm not going to surrender. Maybe next year. Well, two days later, I was on my motorbike heading towards that village. Stopped at a roadblock by the military. You can't go further. Those guys are getting killed in a rebel ambush. It struck me as never before the urgency of this message because who could have believed who was listening two days beforehand that Jesus was coming on Tuesday? Now the thing is, the problem in Derby and wherever we come from this morning is that um, you, know, you don't think you're going to die next week. And I think if you're honest, if you did a, a, on a, scale, a sliding scale of, of urgency and uh, apathy in our pursuit of Christ and a sharing of him with a lost world, we're probably more on the end of apathy than urgency. And what you need to do is that I've only been in Derby an hour and a half, is to see that bombs are falling on Derby. Apathy. Materialism. Comfort. Numbing. Comfort. You know, there's loads of bombs. And if you recognize it, you're going to live with a greater sense of urgency. Smith Wigglesworth, lovely quote. He says, live urgently. Live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. Opportunity doesn't wait. Uh, Sorry. um, Opportunity doesn't wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. Be filled with the Spirit. That is, be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked every thread in the fabric of your life will have received the requisite rule of the Spirit. And then when you are misused or squeezed to the wall, all that will ooze out of you will be the nature of Christ. Next one. Gratitude or grumpiness? I mean, the, the Israelites, they were the kings and queens of moaning, weren't they? I mean, even that incredible provision of manna from heaven. 
no, 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 come on, give us something different. You know, I mean, just incredible levels of grumpiness. Now, I'm a, I'm a Brit, most of us here are British. Uh, our, our national pastime is moaning, isn't it? So we're only sort of silver medalists behind the Israelites. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, this is a choice which I'd love you to make. I wish the body of Christ was characterized by gratitude. Um, and uh, a number of years ago, this guy was trying to kill me. He came to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He wrote me a letter saying he was going to cut out my eyes. Now, was that a fun experience? No, it wasn't. But I put it as one of the top ten experiences of my life. I'll tell you why. Faced with the, the fact of losing these things, I said, thank you, Lord, that I can see. I recognize it for what it was, the gift of eyesight. It's a gift, isn't it? It's not a right. The problem is we live in an entitlement culture. And if you see everything as a right, then you're grumpy if you haven't got it. Whereas if we see everything as a gift, we're going to live grateful lives. And grateful people are happy people. And I've told you I've wept loads in the last few months, but I'm one of the happiest people on the planet because, because I have that, the greatest gift that Burundi has given me is the gift of gratitude. I'm grateful that I can see this morning. I'm grateful I've got a body that works that I can enjoy and do sport with and I need to take good care of as a temple of the Spirit and be a good steward of what God's given me. Uh, and I'm grateful that I've had a nice breakfast this morning as you know, a little boy down the road from me, he's found in a rubbish dump where he'd been eating mud for a year and had to cut the stones out of his gums. And I think of a 15-year-old girl standing up and confessing uh, at one of our youth camps to sleeping with a priest to get three pounds for her school fees. And you girls, you know, sisters here this morning, you're like, I wouldn't have done that. You would have done that. You would have slept with that priest or whoever it was because if you didn't, you'd still be illiterate in second grade. There's no room to judge, is there? We've just got so many gifts that we take as rights in this culture. And we've got freedom in this nation to say, Jesus is Lord. As you've got about 250 million Christians around the world under oppressive regimes where to say Jesus is Lord means getting kicked out of your family, imprisonment, torture, death, which is happening right now on our watch. Are we going to use that freedom today? I had a mate came back from China every day. He said, he said to me, he, he's confessing. He'd been back in England four days. He said to me, every day in China, where I do something where I am in my area, which is illegal which is sharing Jesus. Every day I share Christ in China. I've been back four days and I haven't done anything to get me arrested. It's like where it was costly to share Christ, he's doing it every day. Where it was easy, he wasn't even bothering. We've got this thing called the NHS. I'm just going through a few of the grace gifts of God in our lives to be grateful for in terms of gratitude, not grumpiness. You know, my pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms because he didn't have, again, three quid for his... For his for a, Three kids for the medicine across the counter. Three kids for a life. That's a sick. It's sick and wrong. That's a wrong, sick world, isn't it? And we've got the NHS and we moan about it. Listen, the next time you complain about the NHS, I want you to picture me standing next to you and smacking you in the face. <laughs> An unbelievable gift is the NHS. So just go through it. Do it. Let's do it as couples. Let's do it as family. Just make it a, a, a sort of thing to nip it in the bud when you're complaining. Because grateful people are happy people. And it's infectious and it's evangelistic. Choose it. <laughs> Confess it as well. I think we need to repent before the Lord for our attitudes a lot of time. Next one. Fear or faith. Again, the uh, Egyptian, uh, the Israelites were, were so fearful, weren't they? they, they they'd seen God a word. They kind of knew his character up here, but their heart reflected they didn't really, despite his constant interventions. You know, so many examples, just, just take one. Do you remember when they sent the crack troops, one from each of the tribes, to go and spy out the land? 
And 10 of the 12 came back. So these were top dogs, you know, they, one from the tens of thousands of each tribe. And, and 10 of them came back, breaking themselves and saying, oh, you know, we're, we're like grasshoppers, they're like giants, we've got no chance. It was only Caleb uh, and Joshua who said, look, if the Lord's in it, it's going to be okay. And we've got the choice to live by faith or by fear. And I want you to know this morning that God's got big hands. And as I'm deeply resting with the decision to take my three precious little children back out to Burundi in January, I've got to make that decision from faith, yes or no, and not fear. And you guys, with your different decisions, I just want you to think of a recent big decision you, you, you took, significant decision you took. And I want you to just unpack it a little bit and get back to the, the root, the foundation of what motivated that decision. Was it faith or was it fear? And if you're honest, you might recognize that actually at its root, I took that decision so that that didn't happen or to cover my bases. And the glorious freedom we have is, as followers of Jesus is to live by faith. You know, again, in, in extremists, I'm driving up the most dangerous road in the world. Once I came back, 40 people have been killed on that day. Four ambushes and I got through. And, uh, and one time I was driving up this road and my colleague leant across with a glint in his eye and he said, Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. That's right, isn't it? We haven't got a death wish. You know, I've stopped when the killing's gone off ahead. But you know, we're free to live by faith and not by fear. What are you going to choose? Next one, the way of comfort or the way of the cross? Obviously, in these scriptures, it's pre-Jesus, so they couldn't choose the way of the cross. But they certainly choose the way of, they chose the way of comfort. When they were comfortable, all was hunky-dory. As soon as things got tricky, complaining, distrust, fear. And uh, let's, let's call out um, Western Christianity for what it is often. It's a diluted gospel. It's consumer Christianity. Show me the way of the cross once again. You know that one? I've given like a beggar. I've lived like the rich. I've crafted myself a more comfortable cross. Comfort and cross, can, uh, isn't that somewhat a non sequitur? Isn't that incom- incompatible? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily, and follow me. What does that look like? You know, God's not anti-blessings and enjoying that stuff, but ultimately, the way of the cross is very difficult from the, different from the idolatry in our culture to do with comfort. I was, I was blogging a, a while back, you know, in my church. My church was about 150 in Burundi, the community I'm part of, um, People fled, you know, hundreds of thousands fled the country in the crisis. It got down to 30. Now it's back up to about 100. But on one Sunday, I was looking around, thinking of, you know, Ephraim, you know, the three-year-old daughter, what she's going through, and these guys, you know, they've lost their job, and how are they going to feed their six kids? And just looking, looking around with, you know, tears uh, at the brokenness of a hurting community going through hell, living hell. And I, I, I wanted to address the, the, the curse of comfort. That was what it was about. And listen, I'll just quote it briefly. There's, there's a noble defiance in worshipping God in the midst of grim circumstances. That is where the curse of comfort comes in. I don't want to criticize Western Christianity, but as products of our consumer cultures, we invariably end up conforming rather than being transformed, acting as thermometers which reflect the reality of the environment rather than thermostats which set the very temperature and alter the whole environment. Thus, we often unwittingly craft ourselves a more comfortable cross, and our whole worship experience can end up feeling shallow and anemic. 
It's so easy, isn't it, when things are rough, to turn to comfort, Facebook, chocolate, TV, sex, rather than to Christ. It's no wonder why my most intimate corporate spiritual experiences in the West have usually been with the most obviously broken people, tramps, alcoholics, prisoners, who don't feel the need to maintain the facade that their lives are all in order. God doesn't love us sophisticated people more than them, or them more than us, but what they do have over us is discomfort. They've been stripped of the mixed blessing or curse of comfort. And in their brokenness, stench, and unpolished desperation, God is extremely close. Well, you might have been stripped this morning. Some of us have really been stripped. Well, I want you to know this morning, God is extremely close. And if things are going swimmingly, praise God, if they're going too swimmingly, you've probably been taken out. You know, you've probably gone AWOL, because actually, if, if, if we're following Jesus, we've got an enemy, and we're in a battle, and, and, and you know, issues are going to come up, because there's a spiritual battle going on. So rejoice in things going well. If they're going too well, that's just a question to ask. You know, I haven't got a wish to suffer and stuff like that, but, but if we're going to engage in the spiritual battle, we're up against it, and, and we need to be on our guard. But no matter how, where we are this morning, may, may you know that God is extremely close. And if, with that heightened conscious realization that he is extremely close, then we can feel more, we can receive more of the love of God. We can give more of the love of God. We can act from a better place as children of him. Last couple. Relationship or rules. The Israelites so fundamentally misunderstood what God was all about, didn't they? It was all about rules. It was all about doing this and, you know, then I'm in. That was, you know, verse 16 to verse 18. They look quite transactional, don't they? Do this and you'll be blessed. Don't do this and you won't be blessed. And yet, and by the way, there are millions of followers of Christians in church right now around the world who've completely missed this, you know, who think that because they're in church, they're being good and they're ticking a box and they're going to get into heaven. Millions of Christians throughout the world doing that right now. And I'm hoping that's no one here this morning. You know, if that's why you're here, to tick a box, you know, that's the wrong reason to come. But then there's a whole bunch of other people that are slightly better educated, and they're saying, well, well, the Old Testament was all about law and about rules, and the New Testament and New Alliance is about relationship and grace. Well, that's also wrong. It was always about grace. You know, back in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, God says to the Israelites, don't think I've chosen you because you're any better than anyone else. No. So let's understand that. I think many of us, you know, it, it, we're misunderstanding rules and relationship and what God is wanting with each one of us. There's a, a lady in a horrific marriage in which, you know, very abusive, and his husband would, would beat her up at the end of every day because at the start of each day he wrote out a very exacting, exacting list of, of household chores she had to do before evening. And it was so demanding, she never managed it. She worked her butt off all day, but he'd come back in the evening and he'd, and he'd beat her. Every night of her marriage, she was beaten. And then maybe you could say, praise God, he died. Because then she was released from that horrifically abusive situation. And by the grace of God, a few months later, she actually met a really loving bloke who never laid a finger on her inappropriately, who just empowered her and released her and encouraged her and nurtured her. And in due course, they got married. She got a second chance. And, uh, and a few months into their marriage, it was the end of the day, and you know, he was, he, the husband was about to come home and, and she was just finishing the household chores and she's, she's, she was cleaning behind the sofa and she pulled out, she found a scrumpled piece of paper and it was one of the old lists from the old twisted bad husband. And she opened it up and she did a checklist and to her amazement, she'd done everything on that list. 
what she had never been able to do, motivated by guilt and fear. Now, in the, in the glorious freedom and liberation of, of, a, of a healthy relationship, she flourished and done it. Now, some of us this morning, you're stuck with the old husband. And he's saying, I'm not like that. That's not how it is. Be free. I love you. There's a lovely story at the end of uh, um, Jesus plus everything equals Jesus plus nothing equals everything um, about a guy called Steve Brown. Steve Brown is in America. He's got a 17 year old daughter called Robin, and Robin's completely consumed and eaten up about this English lit course at her college that she has to do in order to get the requisite credits, you know, to pass and that sort of thing. Anyway, Steve, he's the father. He sees his daughter just her life's being ruined by, you know, thinking about this and getting eaten up by it. So he decides to go into college. He takes her in, he, lovely Jewish professor lady. They go to the lecture hall, a bit like this, I guess, and, 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 and the, the Jewish lady can see that Robin's on the edge of tears, so she dismisses the group. And, says, and then Steve goes, all right, I'm here to get my daughter Robin out of this course. You know, it's just it's ruining her life. Please, let her do another, you know, module to get her what she needs. And, and, and the lady said, can I just have a word with Robin? Robin, do you think you could... Um, you could do this course if I gave you an A before you even started. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, Robin, I'm going to give you an A. Before you even start, you've got an A. Off she walked. She turned to Steve, she said, I've just taken away the fear. I've taken away the pressure. She's released. The end of that story is that Robin went on to make Straight A grades on our own merit. Now, brothers and sisters, that's how God deals with us. Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, Christians already have an A. The threat of failure, judgment, and condemnation has been removed. We are in forever. Nothing we do will make our grade any better. Nothing we do will make our grade any worse. In his life, by his death, through his resurrection, Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the everything, the A, that we come into this world longing for, yet are incapable of securing for ourselves. All the pardon, the approval, the purpose, the rescue, the cleansing, the meaning, the affection, the significance are already ours. In Christ, you don't need to add anything to it. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian. That's the unrestrained, unqualified, unconditional grace of God in the completed work of Christ. So the banner under which Christian lives, Christians live reads, it is finished. You can relax and rejoice. You're free. So choose life. Last bullet. There's two verses we've got on that one. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that are set for you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. I think this one just underpins all the others. Is this recorded? Should we put it on the website? I think it's the sort of sermon that you want to revisit during the week and just you know, go through and reassess. You know. What bullet is it for you? One or two. That's what, that, was my, that was my prayer, wasn't it? What's it going to be? Choose life. In an African village, and the house of a family burnt down, and the whole family died. Apart from at the last minute, one uh, somebody uh, reached in through the flames and plucked out the infant boy. And in the morning, the whole village gathered around uh, to discuss the fate of that child. And, you know, according to their worldview, the ancestors, of, there's something special about this child, this boy, because the ancestors allowed him to be rescued and saved. And so they, this heated discussion interchange took place as they lay claim some of them, to, to, to looking after and, and educating this boy. Well the, well, the chief of the village said, I'm the chief, so I'm going to have him. 
And the richest man in the village says, no, I, I, I'm the richest. I can pay and get, get him the best education. The witch doctor said, well, no, no, that, that, that child has got special spiritual powers and allow me to nurture them. And the neighbor said, well, actually, no, the father had an unpaid debt towards me and I'll take the boy as the debt. And then eventually this, this relative nobody stepped forward and said, well, actually, no, the child is mine. And everyone's like, you, who are you? What's your claim? And then he opened his hands. And they were blistered and charred. And he said, the boy's mine because I saved him. And Jesus' hands, they're not blistered or charred, are they? But they're pierced. And he chose death so that we might choose life. And he wants you to choose life this morning, now. And he wants you to live life for as long as he's going to give us. With a sense of urgency instead of apathy. Getting rid of our cynicism. Calling it out for what it is. Obedient, obe- obeying rather than disobeying. Embracing the faith journey, trusting rather than insisting on clarity. Living lives of compassion, choosing to stay and not just pity. Confessing our complaining grumpiness and choosing gratitude, choosing faith over fear, choosing the costly way of the cross rather than comfort. And all those choices we can only make because we've already got an A. Praise the Lord. So let's do it. Why don't you stand and pray? Please don't check out. This is the most important time now. In the last couple of minutes we got together. Stand up and why don't you shut your eyes. You might want to quick stretch. You've been sat down a long time. And we're going to pray. And this is a chance to respond. Quick stretch and then press in, press in. Come Holy Spirit right now. Lord, you've been speaking through your word. May we be a people who choose well. But whatever the bullet or bullets you wanted to nail us with this morning, may we submit to them and be truly nailed. And may we leave different. Lord, I confess my disobedience. I confess my insistence on clarity. I confess my cynicism, my pity, my apathy my complaining, grumpiness, my fear, my insistence on comfort, my slipping back into works, religion and rules, all those being deathly. And this morning I want to put a marker in the ground afresh to say that I'm going to live by faith and trust you. I'm going to take the difficult path of obedience. I'm going to act with compassion and urgency. I'm going to live ready with gratitude and faith following the authentic way of the cross because I've already got an A. Praise you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to choose life. Keep listening to the Lord's voice speaking to you. Two questions I want us to leave with and to discuss with our loved ones, friends, someone. What bullet hit me and what am I going to do about it this week? What bullet bullets were for you and what are you going to do about it this week?
Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.